0: welcome everyone in today's show i sit down with the guys from 1620 workwear and it's pretty awesome because 1620 is a company that focuses on high-end high performance gear for the working men and women out there and it's an american-made company the guys were a lot of fun to talk to so i hope you enjoy this show also real quick if you're looking to buy some cuban cigars i know it can be tricky you might not know where to get them But don't worry, because Uncle Will's got you covered. You can go get them over at IHaveHavanas.com. I've ordered from them, and they're great. They're great. Cuban cigars directly delivered to your house. Check out IHaveHavanas.com, and they will get you hooked up. Also, if you are interested in optics, you know I am a huge fan of Maven Optics. I'm a huge fan of the product, the company, the people. Work at the company. Great all around. If you use the coupon code NBHGIFT at checkout, they will send you some free Maven swag with your order, and that's pretty sweet. So without any further ado, on to the show. If you are ready to take the hard road, the road less traveled, the path in life where the journey is more important than the destination, then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigor. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome everyone to the show. I'm your host, Will Bradley. And today I have the men behind 1620 workwear, which if you have not heard of 1620 workwear, you're welcome because I am introducing you to them today. Especially if you are in the construction industry, you know the importance of having quality gear. You know, it's more than just what you're carrying in your tool bags. It's what you are wearing on your person that counts during the day. Because if you're not comfortable and your gear's holding up, I know exactly how much of a shit sandwich your day can become. And so I brought on 1620 because I saw them on Instagram. Like, I'm sure a lot of people are discovering you guys. And I thought, holy cow, someone is taking an american company is finally looking at workwear and saying it should be better. It should be more technical. Why is it that the hunting industry, the hiking industry, the ski industry, and in european you ever look at european construction gear, it's like out of this world as far as this the stuff they're doing over there. But until now, until 1620, i didn't see anyone that was really blowing my socks off. So Without any further jawing from me, Thank welcome to much. the show, Josh and Teddy. You know what's happening is I saw the 1620 in the work, the thing in the background, and then I've got another email open up that I just said to another guy that says, Mark on it. So I've pinned these things up in my peripherals, and they're all getting in there subconsciously. So this part, this little bit, I might edit out. But welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, right on. Pleasure to be
1: here. I mean, probably the best way to start is kind of like our backgrounds. I mean, you touched on it a lot uh, in terms of like product ideation, but a lot of that comes from Ted, like he's the product Jedi, and I'll, I'll let him give you his background.
2: Yeah, uh, my name is Ted dino um, and my background is in uh, apparel sourcing, product development, supply chain. Uh, I went to college in Maine for ski business and ended up getting an internship uh, my freshman year for a premium technical ski wear brand uh, called Shoes. Uh, which is kind of high end European style, uh, but really was the first one, first brand to bring like performance stretch fabrics into the ski wear market in like 2001, 2002. Uh, and they kind of, you know, rode that and, and grew the brand. I stayed there for 10 years. Uh, and then in 2010, ended up going to work in China for the garment, fa- one of the garment factories that produced uh, shoes, ski wear, uh, among other brands. Ah, uh, we produce for about forty different uh, activity specific technical brands ranging from cycling, fishing, uh, running, hunting, uh, lots of ski wear, and outdoor gear, and then um, you know ultimately workwear was our biggest uh, business. So I learned kind of the ins and outs of you know the whole supply chain side in Asia and globally as well as the kind of the ins and outs of the European workwear market. Um, I'm
1: Josh Walker. Uh, partner here, co-founder of 1620. Um, you know, state school educated, my, my dad was a builder, came from a real blue collar family. Um, always just loved Carhartt, probably my favorite brand, a huge influence on me in my life. Still a big fan of Carhartt and what that company has done and kind of what they stand for. They've still made a ton of U.S. made apparel, one of the bigger brands in the country. Um, my first gig literally was something I didn't love doing. I was kind of working in politics as a, as a policy analyst out of college. I was a journalism grad, and I was just always drawn to the, to the ski industry. So I spent about three years in the State House here in Boston. It was a great learning experience, but not what I was passionate about. Had an opportunity to go work for a helmet company in the ski industry. Um, then had an opportunity to leave that and actually start a brand called Burn B-E-R-N, Burn Unlimited, Burn Helmets. So I started that company with two other guys. It was the three of us that kind of put it together, and I built that brand from scratch and, and ran that company. It was there for about 14 years, and it was an amazing run as kind of an entrepreneurial young startup. We, we attained like an eight-figure revenue, and it was just really grassroots and New England-based. Spent a little bit of time in Asia, but you know, Ted and I knew each other through the ski industry. We were, we were friends. We were always like, we always wanted to do something together. We'd see each other um, at ISPO, the Munich show, and I'm always wearing car head to toe, and he was just like, you know, that canvas stuff kind of sucks. Like, I know you love this brand, but look at what I'm making and look what we're making here. Look at these European brands. The tie one of his customers was, he's like, dude, this brand is making like fucking 300,000 pairs of pants a month. Look at this stuff. It's super Euro. We could bring some of this American styling. We could do this. So like a lot of the idea really came from my partner and I was always wearing it, always into it. You know, I didn't know a lot about clothing. I knew a lot about accessories and helmets and knew a lot about ski wear. But there was this huge gap. It was like what you said earlier, like what was happening in the European marketplace to what was happening in in the in the U.S. marketplace. And I mean, an Ted's concept was, hey, let's make, let's take American root roots of like workwear, the look and the style, but take the fabrics and take a lot of the aesthetics, take what's going on in the back end of it, the technical end of it, and bring it into the U.S. market. No one had been doing it. No one still is really doing it. Still,
0: European brands that are trying to be distributed here that are still two Euro for like the American- The pockets. The extra yeah. pockets are tough, tough yeah. to get over those extra pockets as functional and as handy as I'm sure they are. I'm sure that's what most people in the trades think when they see those pants is great idea, but what's with the pockets?
1: But my buddies are going to
0: harass the shit out of me if I'm wearing
1: that stuff on the job site. You know, it's like, it's still like, what I mean? What does everyone wear? Still
0: jeans. Jeans. You, yeah. You'll get jeans, and if somebody's like fancy, you're going to see some Carhartt double knee front pants. <laughs> it's, you know, it's and that's,
1: I mean, American styles, it's when
0: stuff kind of tips, and I've
1: seen the tipping point of other things, like it changes really quick, and everyone wants to be on that. I mean, these retailers, they don't want to be selling, I mean, this devalued kind of category. It's just,
2: you want to expound on, it's just. Yeah, I mean it's just like the lowest of low commodity type product. You know they're sourcing the cheapest fabrics, shaving tens of pennies off. You know uh, cotton. You know they're you know shaving this. You know so much money off uh, raw material prices that it's um, you know taking all of the value out of any benefit to the consumer. Basically,
1: it's like this mentality. Of, like
2: blue collar workers,
1: oh they, like, I can I can only spend twenty dollars on my pants. I got to make all kinds. Like you are making money, but like the average earning from like manual labor and blue-collar jobs is a lot higher than what's perceived out there like it's just like only white-collar guys can afford to wear outlier or afford to wear like you know blue-collar guys are thrifty they don't want to buy shit that they know they're going to wreck its high price point but you know the shift has happened within tools and with the boots when it comes to like durable long lasting American made stuff and to get that kind of thought process happening in clothing you know it's not easy it's been difficult but like You've got an over fifty percent repeat customer rate because the guys that have tried it, they see the difference, they see that it's gonna last longer, that we back it off, that it just gives them those kind of technical advantages. You know, they're wearing you know, Shred always said, like, these guys are wearing this shit on their ski bills. They're wearing it hunting, they're wearing other places, but then they go back to the job like, Oh, I put on my thirty dollar cotton canvas pants, it sucks. Five right. days hours a week, it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Someone'll yep. go put on a twenty pair twenty dollar pair of Walmart jeans but they'll go hunting with a $1000 kit from Sika or one of these other companies that i mean now just about all high end hunting companies are like technical european alpinist gear essentially you know and that's where i'm sure most of them say that's where the ideas came from and for some reason they can't understand why wouldn't they spend that amount of money on the stuff they're going to wear every day Instead of this stuff they might wear, you know, a few times on the weekend or on a long hunting trip, something like that. And that's what's mind-blowing to me, especially, like, I got in an argument recently, and it may have been in a bar, with some guys about the best work boot you can get. And what it came down to is that we were both Googling, are these boots still made in America? And it was between the Red Wing Logger Safety Boot and the Chippewa Logger Boot. And they, for anyone wondering, they're both made in America, but it, it, it's a $300 boot. Both boots are near $300. And it's like, well, you're going to spend $300 on your boot. Why? One, these guys are specifically looking for a boot made in America. You know, there was uh, the conversation I was having with guys who they're linemen for, like, uh, Verizon, I believe, whatever, tower guys. And they're looking for boots made in America. They, they don't want cheap boots that are just going to fall apart on them and these are they've gotten over that hump but for some reason it hasn't carried into the rest of their equipment yet
1: interesting i mean it's pretty much dead on gloves a little bit it's definitely boots definitely tools definitely trucks you know i mean trucks yeah. truck.
0: <laughs> people will spend for, for a vehicle that some people might only drive to and from the job site, they're willing to spend a shit ton of money on that thing. They go into debt for it.
2: They go into debt for it. Tires,
0: yeah. gym gear. I mean, everything
1: around, like, and, and, like, these guys are all our homies. These guys are all our friends. Oh, yeah. These, all grown up with. All, you know, we have the toughest roughneck bridge deck repair foreman who's one of my childhood buddies who blows through seven pairs of boots a year, just destroys stuff so hard on his gear. You know, he's a customer of ours and he's been a really key guy at a round table and he'll tell us when shit's on point and when it's not on point I mean, we're testing it with real guys like it's not just like some hipster in brooklyn who's buying our shit and like the tough thing about being on instagram right now is like that's what everyone just thinks you are like if you're especially if your shit's expensive they're like oh some other millennial bullshit brand trying to sell me on this and this and that and like it's like that's we're in averil massachusetts our pants are sewn in everett mass and our stuff's used by real guys that are working it every day. You know, Teddy's best buddy was in here yesterday, an electrician, Dan. And he didn't want to spend that much money on a pair of pants, right? I mean, like- But
2: he, yeah, he, he bought his fourth pair and he's not even on Instagram, right? I mean, this customer <laughs> is like, you like, know, he's got two kids, he's up at 5.30 in the morning, going, working 10 hours a day, going home to, to take care of his kids and going to bed. Like, you know, maybe having a couple beers after work, but there's no like, you know, social media is the last thing on his mind, so. You know, he's not necessarily influenced by other things that you know people that are you know kind of sitting around or you know I don't want to say um, you know they, sorry no it's, it's <laughs> yeah but it, yeah but it's like it's real people right I mean it's like he's our age it's not like he's older or kind of out of the Instagram or social media generation he's just got you know work and other things that that he's focused his life around and. Um, it's interesting but he's tough he's a real guy he's not gonna
1: buy stuff that doesn't work like he, he doesn't like it he doesn't like the benefits of it and you know he, you buy once cry once I mean yeah American made we're two young guys we contract manufacturer like we're working to get prices lower and we're working to make stuff cheaper but like to make the level of paint that Ted's developed with like some of the leading outdoor designers like in the game from the top brands using the best stretch wovens and the best fabrics in the country that meet no melt, no drip standards. Like, it costs money to make this shit. It's not some pant made in Bangladesh. I mean, recently have, have seen some clothing that's made basically in the new place where they're really trying to exploit the hell out of people. And I mean, it's the original place where all the exploitation happened. It's, you know, it's in Kenya. And like, these places where there's no tariffs, there's no duties, and the, the guys are getting these pants landed for so cheap, and they're able to resell them for so cheap. And, you know, it's, it's what do you want to spend what, what, what do you want your dollar to support? And like, yeah, when you buy American made, a lot of that spend is going towards supporting what that is. And we've been really focused on trying to make products in our home state, be hyper-local, have a small footprint. We both have huge histories in Asian manufacturing. And, and there's good and bad things. But we both have, with this project and this brand, we want to prove that you can make awesome stuff in the US It gives this customer a big difference and we want to change this category you know like it's gone the opposite way where all these great American heritage brands everyone still thinks their stuff's when they're buying it they think it's made in America they don't it's gone the other way where that stuff's kind of all offshore you know if we could prove there's a customer to pay for for the difference and the guarantee and all those kind of things that we think a lot of these guys will, will react to it as well too and a lot of manufacturers will come back to the states and we saw one of our leading competitors do that already where they were offshoring and now they're making the stuff in the States. And I think it's because it was a new category for them when they were getting that pushback that, hey, if you're going to make workwear, make it in the U.S. if you want people to respect it.
0: There, there is something about the trades and people who work in the trades where they do want their stuff, at least in my experience from you know doing it since I was 14 talking to guys, there's a certain level of pride when your stuff has the Made in the USA flag on it. You know, not designed here, made in China, assembled here, but made, you know, by people's in America's hands right here on this soil.
2: I'll tell you, man,
0: not easy.
2: No, it's not easy. Well, you know, it's funny. When we first kind of started out, you know, my when I was in China, I was buying a lot of stuff from the U.S. that would be shipped to China. We'd do the manufacturing, the cut and sew, and ship the finished goods back to the U.S. or to Europe. Uh, when we first moved back and started kind of talking to different suppliers and talking to different manufacturers you know just in Massachusetts alone there was three or four guys within a 30 mile radius that had never met each other nor did they even know the other one existed and these are major players in the textile game all sending their products overseas all you know leaders at what they do and they don't even know that the other guy's is 30 miles down the road doing something that's complementary to their business where there's opportunities for them to not even collaborate but kind of join forces to grow their own businesses. So it's, you know, the, the network and all of the support systems and stuff for American manufacturers kind of, you know, they're so focused right. on these, yeah, these big Asian orders where like they're not even like looking in their own backyard to see how can we like, you know, support each other. And these these businesses are all committed to american manufacturing but their customers are all overseas believe it or not you know, there's not a lot of the suppliers even though that we're making stuff here besides our cut and sew contractors that you know they're not selling the majority of their products here the majority of their products are being exported uh one supplier in particular they don't even warehouse anything here as soon as they make it it immediately gets shipped to their warehouse in hong kong because that's where 95 percent of their business is and it's just you know so when we order from them literally even though it's made in Shirley, Massachusetts, it's getting shipped back from Hong Kong to us. Huh. And it, like The whole thing is kind of backwards,
1: but like Lee Workwear is a huge brand in the Asian marketplaces in Korea and Japan. Still I, made in the U.S. I don't think you can even buy that shit here. I think it's all Asian sizing.
0: So I like that from, uh, there's a show on Netflix where a guy does a whole, I forget the name of it now, but he does a whole section on denim. In the American denim trade, in Asian countries is unbelievable, apparently.
1: You know, that's probably more on the fashion tip. You know, like, Ted and I pride ourselves and, like, we get an email from the Alaska Pipeline, the foreman, being like, I wanna get my guys through this stuff, I love this stuff, thank you for doing this. I've been waiting for someone to make shit like this. Like, those are the emails we print and hang up. That's the barometer for us. That's the customer, we know we get those emails and that testimonial. That, are, that we're achieving our mission. Like, we're really not trying to pander to, like, the Huckberry and that customer, even though we did a little bit of business with those guys. If you don't, we don't want to pander to that because it's too easy to pander to that. It's too easy to be like, hey, man, you know, like, here's your double knees for walking down
0: to get your macchiato. Like, You just, can't build a real brand on that. Like, no. that's the thing. Like, Carhartt might be hip now or certain companies. Like, this is one thing I always, I always kind of smile about when I see girls wearing duck boots. You know, L.L. Bean duck boots, still made up in beautiful Maine. The thing I always get a smile about is Lionel L. Bean created those boots so his feet wouldn't get wet hunting in Maine, and his buddy's feet wouldn't get wet hunting. And they're hunting boots. That's what they are. They're the Maine hunting shoe. And most it's now just a popular fashion thing. But back in the day, that was – breaking-edge technology for hunting. And I just sm- it just makes me smile every time now. It's like everyone's just wearing hunting boots around. Lots
1: of, lots of, lots of PETA members are wearing Yeah, I
0: wonder how many vegans <laughs> are
2: wearing that <this> shit.
0: <laughs> it, it's, I bet you a lot going to get their macchiatos and stuff, but that's what it was. It was built on authenticity. And that, I'm sure we all see a lot of Internet, you know, those people who think you're a young millennial company trying to Fake authenticity. They're trying to do, you know, they'd be happy selling it to whoever, but you're not going to be a Carhartt type company or a Red Wing or some of these other companies faking authenticity.
1: You got to be legit. And there's a few brands that are super legit. And there's a the workwear space has changed since like dramatically since we started a couple years ago. You know, and everything we've been quarterbacking, specifically a lot of stuff my partner's been quarterbacking has really come to fruition, you know? And you're gonna see a lot of these European brands try to break in and try to change the style a little bit. And it's gonna change a lot more in the next couple of years. And at the end of the day, it's like, there's, you know, only so many categories within like the wearable markets that have like growth opportunity. Like, this, this category is nuts because they don't even know how many garments are really sold to this customer because of all the work around product i.e. the North Face, the Arcterics, the Patagonia, the outdoor clothing that makes it to this job site because this guy can't find what the fuck he I,
0: I wear a puffy made by Mountain Hardware. Exactly. You
1: know, like these brands that have become a workwear brand, like cool. I mean, like I can never wear a clothing that says cool on it and like looks like a Swiss hiking brand, but like my dad wears it. Like a lot of my friends are running it. A lot of guys, it's a workwear brand. It's become a workwear brand because there's like nothing else. Like if you would've said 10 years ago, if you would've on a job site with a pair of cool pants and you'd be like, hey man, you don't even fucking laugh for it off the job site. Like get the hell out of here. Like, I'm never gonna wear that stuff. With a symbol in the back of it. And like you go to like a Mickey Fence in Connecticut, which is a hardcore workwear account. And there's four brands in there. And cool is one of the biggest ones. Like they are doing a chunk of their business in the workwear category, not even marketing to the workwear customer, just because
0: they
2: these guys can't find what they need. you know.
0: And Keep
2: I, The cool website, and then all of their models have flip-flops
0: on mandals on Well, you know, the funny thing about that is I had a buddy, Well, he was going through med school, he'd come home for the summers and work for our family's construction company. And, you know, he bought a pair of Carhartts, the double knee fronts, and he'd wear them every day. And he just went back to med school, still wearing Carhartts, never stopped, just kept buying them, never bought any other paint after that where's mandals <laughs> or whatever who does his rounds and he's like you wouldn't believe the amount i'll go into the emergency room or wherever he's like you you wouldn't believe the amount of compliments i get on these pants going around doing it because it becomes part of you part of your your brand your thing you know you pick these things up or wherever you are in life and you carry them on with you and that's what's happens to a brand like cool somebody came into the job site one day had those pants on because they're outdoors, chilling, having mandals. They were like, these are some comfortable pants. So I'm going to wear these to the job site. Next thing you know, boom, off to the race. And I think you're right. People are missing a big opportunity because I don't think the trades get the respect, and they're certainly not as sexy as you know people hanging out by a campfire wearing mandals on a beach. Right. But it's, you know, it's a skilled labor shortage. It's a ton
1: of money. It's no longer a black mark to go in the trades out of high school. You know, I, I'm older. I, when I graduated high school it was in '94. Uh, like, if you weren't going to college, it was like you're taking your senior trip to Nam or some shit. And like, all these <laughs> guys, like, every guy who stayed home and was building a string of hammers on their second home on their vacation. They've all done very, very well here in New England. And it's still a skilled labor shortage. The average medium income for an electrician in the Bay Area, these places with there's pockets of wealth, is like 35 hours a week, like 170, 180 grand. And it's it's gonna only continue to grow. We have all these young guys who come in because our young guys love our shit. Cause they they spend money, they want over the nicest stuff. You know, like one of our ambassadors just got his union cards at pipe fitters and make a hundred grand. He's 23 years old. Just bought a brand new Silverado. Like I don't know many 23 year old guys in the white collar world that went to that you know, <laughs> they went to a lower end school or whatever that are walking up making that. You know, he's a high school grad. I. So it's, there's a lot of opportunity, man, like a lot of people don't want to sit behind a computer all day long. Ted and I both kinda of hate it. Like it's just it is what it is, you know, like there's there's a lot other ways to make money there. Not to get all Mike Rowe on that shit, but like it's gonna go that way because it has to go that way. Because every single one of these construction sites around here is shorthanded.
0: Yeah, you know? Mike Mike Rowe has done a great job waving the flag for I think anybody in the trades has seen for a long time. And us hiring a young guy can be super hard to find someone who's willing to show up willing to work i almost want someone who's like where'd you go to college it's like oh. and if it's a too fancy of a school it's like eh, I'm, I'm gonna pass because i've been burned by guys who i have hired from college who went to really fancy schools and they have a degree now a ton of debt but no work ethic
1: it's an interesting
0: time and, and yeah. They're gonna have a tough time. I mean, skilled labor is gonna be. It's not like there's. My first question now is, have you done any farm work?
2: Farm, like working on a farm.
0: Farmers, Back for front of the line, front of the line when it comes to hiring, every time.
2: That's your first question.
0: Yeah. And are you scared of heights? Is my second question. Interesting. And because we've, there's an area north of us called Boonville. and that is the pocket where if you can find guys. To work manual labor, it is like a Have gold
1: bu- mine. Have you lumped bundles up a ladder on a roofing site?
0: Oh all yeah. Day? If you're a <laughs> farmer from Boonville and you're not scared of heights, I, you, sign. The, here's here's the keys. See you on Monday. Be here early, and they'll be there early. These guys, no problem waking up. It's I'm telling you, you guys ever need manual labor, you're in a shortage. Boonville, New York. Send them down here to Mass. I think they'd be pretty psyched, you know? Oh, that's, that's, it's it's unbelievable. I, I hope no one locally listens to this one too much because I'm going to say some shit that will get me in trouble as I tell them, you guys watch Game of Thrones at all? I, I do. Have, I do, I have, do yeah, so yeah. between Utica and where I am now, there's a hill called Deerfield Hill, and I always call it the Wall. You know, I say we're north of the Wall up here because everything up here, everyone's got a little bit more of a country-ish accent. You know, Boonville's even north of, so we're about 20 minutes north of Utica. Boonville's about 20 minutes north of me, and I always say I don't like hiring anyone south of the wall. Bigger deer up north, I bet, too. Oh, there's a, you know what, you'd be surprised, those pockets of deer in the suburbs, but, yeah, everyone in Boonville, most likely, if you're a, they say if you ever want to meet a girl on a The best thing you can do is go to Boonville, opening day of hunting season, because not a man will be in town. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) I like (laughs) Boonville. Yeah. They also hold the uh, Northeast Lumberjack Competition for Men and the Women's, I think it's the Women's Championship, National Championship there for lumberjacking. Yeah. It's pretty cool, man. If you you guys ever get a chance, you want to come see a wild event. You guys ever watch any of that Timber Sports stuff? For sure, yeah. I mean, and one of our competitors is
1: way into that. Sponsors, like Duluth does a lot of that shit. But, yeah, we're, yep. I mean, definitely interested. And in we're interested in, in making chainsaw pants and doing it better. Like, you know, we've got a good, we have a solid plan in terms of where we want to take the product and where we want to take it. We just we want to make best in class across the board. You know, that's, that's Ted's real passion. That's what he's done for for outdoor brands. We want to try to bring it to, the, to this category. We still think there's just, you know, there's just so much crap so much crap it's insane like you know i hear that like this one pocket category like it's even worse than like athleisure like worse than gym wear it's like it's it's like so devalued it's almost like there's just no respect
0: given to this customer like oh he doesn't give a shit there isn't there's the thing though there's not a lot of respect you know if 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 you even look outside of workwear though uh, and outside of like actual clothing, there's not a lot of respect given to guys in the trades, even though you're naming how much some of these guys are making, and they have no debt, and that's starting out, some of them even making more, and not a, not a lot of respect. I actually saw something online that I thought was really cool and surprising the other day, is a high school held a signing day for everyone who is going into like a trade or a job right out the gate. I thought that was that was super cool, cool. because th- someone needs to shine a light because not you can't live in a computer.
1: It's unsustainable, you know. Like you got to learn how to do stuff, and it, and hopefully it has these kind of reverberations that that workforce cares about U.S. made. You know, the stats on clothing and, and what's still made in the country are just frightening. You know, like in the '90s, still 50% of what we bought was made here. Now it's like less than two percent. Which, so for two guys that are out there trying to make clothing, that's, I mean, our biggest obstacle. So,
0: I bet I would bet you that demographic cares more about made in the U.S. than any other demographic. I think you're right. And there's, and I think there's something. To, uh, I work with a guy. His name's a Hutchman, and he is the hardest working person I've ever met on the planet, other than my mom, and. When I ask them, you know, because you're working a long day, you start asking people questions that you normally wouldn't ask other people. And one of my questions is, all right, if you you died and you were to come back as an animal, reincarnated, what would you be? And most people are going to choose something awesome, like an eagle or a bear or a mountain lion. The hutchman wants to come back as a beaver because it's the hardest working animal in the animal kingdom and you would still get to build things was getting a cannibal run you got to be a bear interesting you know and there's guys like that but whenever we're working he always says we're building america you know and that's i think what a lot of guys mentality is when they go out there they they put the tool belt on or whatever it is for the day and they're 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 building this country to them that's what they're contributing made america
1: is not what everyone totally perceives it to be either it's you know it's sewing jobs are first and second generation jobs you know it's it's the Brooks Brothers factory here with 500 sewers from 30 different countries and they teach English as a second language it's just you know it's sanctuary jobs it's great for this country it's great for people to get a foothold in this country and earn their way and that's what sewing is that's that proletariat job set of sewing and making garments in the US and those jobs are super important they're you know foundational jobs and it's a great Entry point to like the American way of life, and like, you know, like people come to this country want to work. They want those opportunities. They want those jobs. We shouldn't be outsourcing every single one of those jobs. No, I would agree with you. Jobs that we haven't protected, you know, it's I think it's 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 the fault of our country's leaders that we haven't protected those jobs.
0: I would agree, and you get you know everybody they talk about pay, 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 for American workers, but they'll go buy things at Walmart where they're made everywhere else. And then, you know, they put in laws for medical care, whatever, and all that stuff. And so what does Walmart and these places do? They then cut everyone's hours to no one's working full time anymore. And so who's and so now
2: or three dollar T shirts? Yeah, I mean it's like the the price of everything else has gone up over the last twenty years, but you know, clothing has kind of maintained the same price and you know even like you look at some electronics and stuff like that have gone down you know what it used to cost to buy a tv versus what it costs now uh, but my parents were recently moving and my dad came across the first new car he bought which was like a 1986 uh toyota hilux you know it was like the first year of the the tacoma before it was a tacoma and the sticker price was like $6800 brand new the two-wheel drive but $6800 and it was a lot of make in that you know and uh fast forward 30 years later and uh, you know a new tacoma the cheapest city you can you know, get maybe it's 25 28 grand back in 86 you still pay 20 dollars for a pair of jeans and it's, you know it's the same price that that price hasn't gone up when the price of everything else has gone up around it um and you know people are still willing to buy toyota's you know say the number one signed truck in the country number two so it's like you know where the, the disconnect there between um you know what the true cost of what it actually you know what it costs to actually make something doesn't even matter here in the US or or across the world, like, you know, the labor, the amount of time it took to make a gene, hasn't changed in in 30 years, and the wages have all gone up, so theoretically, like, the cost should go up, but they just, you know, that sewing as a reality, um, it's like the first industry to move to a newly developed country, so when I was in Asia, uh, 2011, 2012, Myanmar was the big destination, where, you know, Burma, Myanmar, which is like, you know, really a human rights disaster, uh, as soon as that opened up, all of the brands that we were working with, everyone took a trip there. They were all coming over, yeah, we'll, we'll stop by China on our way to Myanmar. And you know, it's the sewing machines, literally you can fit 300 of them in a shipping container. So you know, you can open a 1,000 person factory, and you fill out four or five shipping containers worth of sewing machines, ship to a country, and send over a few technicians to train it, and it's a very trainable job, and that's kind of, you know, the whole world, all these major brands are just chasing the cheap needle, and as Josh mentioned. Now, Sub-Saharan Africa is the country because of these low-duty or duty-free uh, deals that they have with the U.S., and I mean, it, it literally is making garments cheaper. You know, they're selling stuff for cheaper than they were you know, able to make it for to sell it in Asia. So it's, I mean, it, it eventually it will come to a wall where there's going to be no more cheap countries to go to. All of these countries are going to want, you know, want higher wages. They're going to be hungrier. And it's going to force the cost to go up, which will make stuff for us competitive. Uh, because, you know, here in the U.S., the, the way the factories have been able to stay alive is by innovating and by finding more, you know, efficient ways to make stuff or, you know, things to, ways to streamline their businesses, whereas the Asians are just, or Asians arbitrary in one country, but, you know, as the cheap needle is moving, they're just trying to find the cheapest labor and not, they're still using older tactics and older techniques and not trying to, you know, build efficiency into the process, just really, you know, find the lowest wage.
0: And like when that rises, when the tide rises, like you say, eventually all the ships are going to come up to a level playing field. It might be after I'm dead and gone, but it will eventually happen. And you, I don't think it's a great business model f- to run forever for some of these companies. They're kind of in a race to the bottom.
1: Absolutely a race to the bottom. It's I mean, the, the two words no one really wants to talk about is just, you know, is that forced labor or that exploitive, you can't have $3 t-shirts without forced labor somewhere in that supply chain. One I more's mean, Walmart's going to make 15 cents a t-shirt, like it just, it doesn't, and that's the dirty little secret, and, and a lot of people have written a lot about it, and some companies have taken a stand, and some companies are just going to ride it out, but, you know. the the human rights deal with, you know, offshore manufacturing is what it is. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of places to do it great and it's all free trade certified and all these kind of things. But it's like, you really got to think about some of these things. We're going to have to start to think about some of these things, you know, between plastic and clothing and the waste. Like it's going to be part of your consumer cycle as an American, where you spend your money, what it means, what it does. And you know, and what you wear, it fucking matters. It really does and where it's made, it matters.
0: You know, that's one reason I might get Chippewas this next time around, is they do a little American flag on yeah. the very bottom of it, and that does mean <laughs> something to that's me. That's our, that's our, our homies. We love the Thurgood Boot brand. Those
1: guys are awesome, and like, there's still some great American footwear companies. And I mean, listen, the Carhartt still makes a ton of U.S. made stuff. You know, like they probably they've made over 40 million U.S. made garments, and there's still some great brands that are at scale that have an impact and employ a lot of Americans. I just wish. All of them did. it'd be good for everybody.
0: It would. It would. And then, like you say, more people. And I'm definitely not against immigration. Immigrate here. Get your ticket. Yeah. Here's the job. There are jobs. And that's the thing. People are like, oh, they'll take our jobs. It's like, I don't know, man. I see a lot of job openings in the trades. and Nobody's looking to fill them. You know? So... Let me ask you this. Going in a little bit different direction. Yeah, for sure. Sorry we got the no, tire. But that's all mean. right. Tell us, tell us <laughs> but, about 1620. <laughs> no. okay, what, what is what is your, would you say is your flagship garment right now? Dura stretch, Sure, yeah. I mean, at
2: the, we can start at the, the top, really. But, um, you know, we kind of have this Dura stretch cargo. This is 100% made in Massachusetts pant. Uh, it's fully synthetic, uh, we use a Cordura nylon spandex fabric blend uh, that uses a proprietary core spun uh, stretch technology in it, not proprietary to us but proprietary to the manufacturer. Uh, and it's, it's literally the stuff that you know the NFL uses in the on-field jersey and the shoulder panel. So it's just designed for high impact, high braid resistance oh, wow. uh, to be washed a bunch of times and, and kind of look you know proper after it comes out of the wash rather than shrink or fade or anything like that. Uh, we've seen a couple of pants, different style, but same fabric uh, that have been two, two and a half years in the field and still look acceptable, you know, still something you can wear to a, you know, a new customer meeting. Um, that's we have, that's I, it in the gray. Have it in, have it in a couple of colors, but this is a crazy price point pant. It's a
1: $274 pant, right? So when we release this pant, we're like, 274 bucks is like how much is the internet going to explode? We re- dropped like no one's ever thought about charging $274 for a work pant. Like no brands even fucking imagined it, right? No. Like, I, we sold out. Sold out of this pant in two weeks. I, I you know, can imagine. I are can, ready for
0: good stuff. You know? I can imagine someone going to a meeting, though, I like one of these larger companies, be like, "I have an idea. We're gonna make a $274 retail pair of pants," imagine and then it, just it, being it, like, meeting, "Go get just, your stuff." Yeah. Steve, Steve, you're gone. Go get your box. Fill it up. You're out. Out of here. Yeah. yeah terrible you, idea. You got to,
1: like, when you're changing the category and both my <laughs> partners have both done it, you know, Ted's actually done it for more brands behind the scenes from a manufacturing standpoint, and I was part of it in, like, head protection. Like, you just, you have to shake it up, you know? Like, as I'm the marketing dude, and I'm always like, Ted, hey, look at everyone freaking out. And he's just like, you know, you got you to gotta steer the course. We got to continue on this kind of high, because we're, we're standalone right now. There's plenty of like devalued, shitty work brands. There's, the, the world doesn't need any more of those work brands. There's no difference about it. There's no upside to it. You know? like, for us, you know, we want to be the guys who disrupt it and shake it up, and we really feel like we have. You know, we feel like in terms of like, how brands are marketing to this customer, you know, um, how they're making their product, what they're trying to say about their product, you know, and, and just the design, the aesthetic. Like, you know, we've definitely been catalysts for change. There's no doubt about it. And it's it's a it's a cool category, man. Because it's a great customer. You know, like if you treat this customer right, you stand behind your product no matter what you charge them for it. They're gonna respect you, and they're gonna be great return repeat customers. You know, it's not like it's not a customer just buys it once. You know, pants are a consumable item for this guy. You know, the average worker goes between what, is a seven? What was it? Yeah, like
2: between five and eight pair of pants, and they're spending an average of forty nine dollars on. It. So it's like you know they're spending three to four five hundred dollars on pants a year. Just you know, you know, in, in multiple different purchases, but you know they're spending a lot of money on you know product that they don't see any benefit for. And and as Josh mentioned, you know when we kind of started this. There was no real brand that was championing the modern worker. I mean, there were some brands that obviously like Carhartt that uses working guys in their advertisements. But I know a lot of like the European guys, for example, like one of the European brands that I was familiar with. They did all their photo shooting in the U.S. with models from L.A. You know, so like it, they have this amazing image and take amazing photography, but it's literally with American models because they and their their thing is that they said the German working guy doesn't fit in their sample sizes. So it's like they're you know trying to portray this image of like something that doesn't even exist in Europe, um, and you know we want to champion them not only by you know highlighting through our ambassador program and. And, and through our social medias, but also by giving them products that they benefit from on a daily basis, right? I mean, it's like our, our products reduce fatigue. They increase safety on in the job site. They make guys happier at the end of the day. They're much more versatile. They don't have to change. They can go out, you know, after work. They can go do something and not look like they came from the job site. Our fabrics, literally, if they get dirty, you know, muddy, once the mud dries, you can shake them off. You can brush them off, and they look fairly new again. So it's... Uh, you know, a lot of upside benefit that you know, these guys can see that they don't get from these other brands that are just trying to, you know, treat them as another customer trying to try kind to of take their money with, uh, you know, bare minimum product, something that just covers their legs, not something that they're actually getting benefit from.
0: Oh, like a pair of jeans, you get the bottom of those wet, next thing you know it's going all the way up your leg, then it hits the socks, now it's down in your yeah. boot. It's
1: literally the same fabric that our great, great, great grandfathers, you know came over here and we're and working like it's just like cotton canvas dude like really You're still working the same shit that in like from 1900 like, it's come on it just doesn't make any sense you know like there's always gonna be a place for cotton and there's always gonna be a place for cotton in this guy's wardrobe but like the fact that cotton canvas is the go-to for workwear, it it's just flies in the face of everything we know about performance in terms of of fabric, and like you know, the Northeast is a great place to be you know, put together a workwear brand. You guys have to deal with everything here. It's a great place for us to test our stuff. You know?
0: There, there would be guys who would tell me if you, you know, worked in a trade from here, you could go to any other area in the country and get a job, just because of how tough the seasons and everything can be up here in the Northeast. I'll tell everyone that they'll be driving to Florida and California. especially. Uh, yeah. I know guys, they're already down there. They're already in Florida. They, they're seasonal. Our guy who uh, we sub all the concrete work out to, that's where he's at right now. My uh, wife's dad, he does construction too. He's down there. That's what happens. It's snowbirds for construction. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. On those pants, can you get knee pads in? I see they're, they had the reinforced knee. Do they have the pocket for the knee pad as well? That's one question. Yeah, so so the version that we launched, the initial version, didn't have knee pads. Um, you know, that pant we actually
2: had in a 12-month R&D um, kind of cycle. So we partnered with a local uh, motorsport IMSA racing team called Turner Motorsport. Uh, they run an M6 GT3. Um, and we kind of started meeting with them in like the summer of 2017, you know, wanting to make a better pant for their pit crew and kind of with the idea of it, if it can last a season, um, you know, for these guys who were kind of, you know, working as hard and as fast and they can't let their apparel get in the way of what they're doing. I mean, when there's, you know, they're trying to make a pit stop or, or do any of their work, I mean, they literally are, you know, climbing in and around all these cars. So Mobility is a huge issue. Um, you know, it's all sharp objects, hot objects. There's a lots of sparks and, and oil and grease. So it was really like one of the tougher environments that we could think of that was, um, you know, a little bit higher profile as well. Um, and so we kind of set down a path of, of creating this product. So the initial pants we made for them all had knee pad pockets in them. Um, and, you know, ultimately it was something where on the commercial version that we sold, we didn't integrate them. And I think there's a, a, a room in the future where we're going to have a, a knee pad version and a non-knee pad version. But yeah, the initial design was, was to include knee pads in them. And a lot of the guys that we talked to in Northeast uh, are wearing like really hard knee pads. Uh, a lot of they've tried integrated knee pad brand, or pants from our competitors and no one's ever got it right and so we weren't necessarily confident in bringing that to market without having you know, tested it across multiple channels but that's being done as we speak and we're, we're confident that when we bring it it's going to be right. Um, we actually have also, you know funny enough, out in Western Mass there's a big um, plastic mold injection factory that, that is making knee pads for us through a, like a proprietary material. Um, so you know that product will really 100% be made in Massachusetts. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing, and it's you know knee pads aren't for everyone. You talk to you know multiple guys that use knee pads, and they all want different things. So and you go into a delusor that has knee pads, and they've got 20 different styles of knee pads. So it's one of those things where it's a rabbit hole. And to come out and claim, yeah, we made the best knee pad pan or something like that, we're we're not ready. We can definitely say we made the best you know double knee pants. We made the best Nyko fabric, but. Um knee
0: pads are, a, you know, a, a step couple steps in the future for us. I only ask that because I just started putting knee pads in my pants that have the space. And, it, and the first day I wore them, I was like, holy shit, I Andrew. should have been doing this long ago because I was, uh, we were redoing a finished, we were doing a finished basement. So we had to put down sleepers at and all that. And it was just kneeling down. And I was just like, it used to be go from, I'd go to kneeling and just be like, oh, crap, I got to kneel again. to like, oh, this is nice. And they were just some not crazy expensive neoprene knee pads. And the difference, though, with how they ride in a pair of Carhartts or a pair of Fjallraven, uh cab trousers is completely different. And so that I know how important nailing that knee pocket design can be because when you're wearing them and they're in there all day, that, that little bit of movement or feeling like you're kind of the tin man wearing them is is pretty important. We've gotten a lot
1: of that feedback. You know, we were on site with some stone guys this year and just, you know, how they're moving around pieces of foam or how they're wearing knee pads and watching out. It's just like birds of a feather, you know, these guys doing this are all running the same kind of setup. These guys are running a different setup. So if we want to find something that will work universally, so we'll have to reinvent it wheel five or six times because I think a lot of brands have fallen into that. You know, you'll see like four or five different designs. We want to try to get it
0: right the first time when we release it not have to tweak it too much. But it's cool to hear that from you, though. Yeah, it, well, you think about this. is It makes sense that guys wearing, uh, say, Carhartts would want a foam pad to do masonry work, especially outside, if they're in the mud or something like that, because if you get those wet, you're now kind of f for the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You you'll, you'll tough it out. You'll be fine. You know, it's not going to kill you. But with a material like you guys have, if you have the knee pads that you can put in, it's not so much a problem now getting wet. So it's really uh-huh. like looking at apples and oranges now when you compare the pants is those same traditional problems you would have, you no longer have now. Because your solution of not having to have, you know, your like say you're running a uh, concrete saw, right? A wet saw. All that stuff's firing back at you. Maybe you're cutting a floor up, whatever. All that stuff, like I said, it gets up there. Next thing you know, your underwear's wet. Everything's wet. You might as well have brought another pair of pants. Whereas a fabric like you guys have, not an issue anymore.
1: Correct. Good feedback. Yeah. You like it. You get part of our test group.
0: I, hey, I'd be more than happy to. I, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to me, though, that you, you solve these problems that unless you've been in the situation, you don't realize how one can compound to the other. Like, why does the guy use the foam versus knee pads in general, just an outside knee pad, per se? It's like, well, because the foam can sit there in the mud because the rain, say, if you're parging insulation or putting up some stone on the outside around a house. Until it's all finished off, that water's just coming off the roof, everything's getting muddy and wet around the house, right? Next thing you know, you're kneeling in it. You don't want to be kneeling in it, but you still want your knees protected. What's the cheapest, easiest thing to do? Oh, we got a bunch of this two-inch foam laying around. Let's cut that up, put it under there, boom, and go. However, now if your pants getting wet is no longer a problem, which until a pant like yours, it was a problem, uh, knee pads that are built in really weren't a great option for you.
1: Against skin feel, too. Like, you get that pocket of a pad. That canvas is just against
0: your knee, so, And and when they dry, there's they, you are the Tin Man, yeah, for walking sure. Walking around and that's not very comfortable. So it's. I'm really excited to see what you guys come up with in the future because I'll admit I was thought you guys might be a couple millennials trying to make a cool brand before sitting down and talking. Wish I was millennial. Fuck, 42. <laughs> first uh, year, first year millennial, 84. <laughs> so are you that are you looking to go into clothing retailers or are you looking for like a construction supply type retailers
1: they have to be they have to be good retailers that can sell high-end products whether it's a high-end boot whether it's a high-end clothing whether it's you know like a kittery trading post or something around here that sells you know firearms and camping stuff like you know the retailers they're really well-rounded retailers it's not going to be like a hardware store selling a couple pieces of Carhartt or a couple pieces of, of, of Dickies or something. It's gotta be something that, you know, they can kind of handle our freight. I mean, Cause you want to make sure that it, it, it does well and the right customers going in there and touching it. Because we know our, our brand and our product isn't for everybody. Like maybe a yeah. hundred from so now, the whole category is different, but there's certain guys that are never, they're only going to ever work in blue jeans. They're only ever going to buy Herman Survivors. They're only ever going to buy these these brands, you know, and that's that's fine. We're not trying to be it for everyone. We always knew it was like a kind of upper echelon, higher percentage. You're okay. going for that top ten percent.
0: Yeah. And they—that's—that's that's how I had on uh, Atlas Forty Six, the guy yeah. who does the head of marketing there. And it was very similar. Like you—you're not going to be for everyone. It's going to be the young guys will be the ones championing this cause. And it's funny because I had—I'm working on getting Mark Martinez on. He's the guy who invented the. Titanium hammer. Oh yeah,
1: and yeah, the hammer
0: It is, and he started. He sold the company to Milwaukee, but then he got bored, so he started a new titanium hammer company called Martinez Tools, where he's making a bunch of tools out of titanium. But you're looking at like, I think he's gonna charge. I think he is charging or and selling out of them two twenty five for a tri square. Yeah, we say, you, you follow him on Instagram. Yeah. Pretty sure I follow him on Instagram. He's and he's. E is a trip man i can't wait to get him on, but it's it's again you're easy if he's like if they don't sell i don't care they'll sit in my they'll sit in my barn <laughs> but it, it's not to kiss your guys ass too much but it's been too damn long that nobody's come up with something like i'm tired of having to wear fjall raven or rab pants you know or some of these hiking pants to work on shitty days because I, as much as I love Carhartts, I don't want to wear them all the damn time. They're not, they're not meant for every job. And cool and fall Raver and these
1: brands are just, they're just smiling and laughing because they're just, you know, they're de facto go-tos for the young consumer that is aware of the brands because they can't find what they want. These workaround products. Like, you can peg the workwear marketplace as the size, but no one even knows what size. It is.
0: So, so why do you so, guys? Why do you think that the? The guys in the trades are getting no love from like highly technical workwear. And, and, you know, I
1: honestly feel like that, and and it goes back to what Ted was saying. I just I don't feel like the respect levels are there. You know, they're just and like listen, we've been raised, we've raised money, we're out there raising money, we're, we're meeting with investors, we're trying to scale this thing, and it's the same thing. It's like you, know, you meet with like it's just so funny. Like the white collar investment world doesn't think that this customer can afford anything good. Like just the it's like the blue collar guy just has been shit on for so long, you know, and it's 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 bullshit because they're the base of the entire economy. The people taking their family skiing, it's it's the base of the economy. So, but when you have this white collar world in the investment side of things, like guys won't buy, guys won't buy that. It's like, well, here you go. There's a couple thousand customers. Here's a guy who's never spent more than $60 on a pair of work pants in his life and he's spent $2,500 with us in the last six months because he's so sick of the shit that he's wearing. So it's like, until the, the respect levels really change, and it's funny because this, this white collar crowd, they're the guys that are paying the hourly rates for the guy in there hanging cabinets and fixing Now They know what they're paying these guys. They're acutely aware of what their wife spends when, when she's redoing the kitchen. And like, they still can't get it through their heads that the only white collar Customers can afford to, to, to buy high end Arteric themed stuff. And like, it's bullshit. Yeah, well, you know, have... so everybody gets bullshit.
0: You know? it's, it's funny you say that because how many construction workers did you meet skiing? Exactly. Every every ski bum's a construction oh. worker.
1: The
0: guy, they don't miss a powder day. No, no. <laughs> I have a buddy, he works at Crested Butte. Uh, he just started his own construction company. Before that, he worked for another guy. And they took off powder days. Exactly, they don't mess about it. It's, it's,
1: it's interesting, man, you know, it's funny, it's funny where that mindset is and it's changing, you know, the gentleman you just mentioned before, making that that kind of titanium gears, changing it, you know, like the decked out guys for trucks, like what they're doing, it's it's all starting to change, but, you know, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens and where it goes, because skilled labor shortage is changing. And, you know, the hourly rates and the waiting and what you have to pay for
0: all of these services from
1: top to bottom. it's down and dirty HVAC stuff to doesn't, doesn't matter. It's There's all a- the prices going up, you
0: know. Have, have you ever read a book called The Millionaire Next Door? I haven't. I would – you guys would love this book because it's written by a guy who – they were hired by a, some investing firm to study millionaires in America. And so there's some good, like, anecdotes in there. Like, they set up a party. They invite – I don't know. I forget how they figured it out, but they tell you how. And they invited these guys who are millionaires to a luncheon study, you know, kind of thing, to get to know them. And they spend, I don't know, gods amount of money getting, like, high price bourbon and drinks and whatever – And they show up, and they realize, like, the only one eating the food and drinking the drinks, really, are the investment guys. And that most of the guys, turns out, just wanted, like, Bud Light, the millionaires. Because statistically, in America, the most commonly driven vehicle that a millionaire drives is a three-year-old Ford F-150. And they're more than likely to have, they're likely to ha- be working in a trade and own the company, and they are extru- They're more likely to buy suits from J.C. JCPenney's and places like that, but this is not what the guys who started this investment firm had thought, but that's who, it turns out, the millionaires in America are, and that's what I think a lot of people miss, this disconnect that you can get from where you start out of high school learning a trade to become a self-made millionaire. But statistically, according to the book, and that's what I highly recommend reading it, that's what you can do. Interesting. And they're incredibly discerning on what they spend their money on. So if they see value in something, they will spend their money on it. And I think that's what you guys are finding out is these guys will spend the money if they feel that it is appropriate for the value of the money. Value. Absolutely. Once they get their hands on it,
1: that's why we're looking at that retail the touch and feel of our stuff. is just like, you can't really put it on the rack next to anything else. It's kind of incomparable. We actually, we're going to have to get back to work here soon. So, but you want to talk a little bit about the future?
0: Yes. Yes. Sorry guys. I know we went a little bit long on some other topics. We might have to do this as a two parter, but yes, the future of 1620 work where, what can we look forward to seeing?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we can only get more technical. Um, You know, we have a few categories that, you know, primarily our business is pants right now. You know, we're we're 90, 95% of our business is pants and we wanted to start there. We wanted to make that as, you know, we feel for the working guy, it's the most impactful product. It's something they put on in the morning. You know, they put their boots on and it's with them all day. They can, you know, layer on the top, they can wear a t-shirt, they can put a sweatshirt on, they can put a jacket on, but, you know, in, in almost all cases. Uh, Unless they're working around like biohazard chemicals or something like that or, um, you know, uh, bodily fluids, uh, their pants (laughs) are on them all day. So it's just something that they can really, you know, uh, benefit from and and it's kind of an undeniable benefit. Uh, And we want to provide that on the top half of the body as well um, as, uh, you know, as we grow. So outerwear is a big thing for us. Uh, You know, we have some partnerships we can't really talk about right now lined up, but, uh, you know, in the waterproof, breathable outerwear space, um, you know, we want to make Arctic down jackets. We want to, you know, have a full FR, fire retardant line of products. Also we have some partnerships lined up in that, you know, fabric world, the best names of fabric. Um, You know, we're just kind of step by step, um, you know, getting there, getting the funding in place. Um, You know, the product lines are, you know planned out and, and it's just really kind of the implementation as we grow at the right time um, but and then you know, and then also kind of add in you know technical workmanship and, and detail whether it be you know bonding some details or you know waterproof pockets things that are you know take what we've done now and go up with it rather than kind of walk it back because uh, we've set up set a pretty high bar for ourselves and um, you know, we want to continue because we feel that the competition they're probably gonna be watching your podcast. They're probably gonna be listening to what we're doing now. So you'd be um, surprised. <laughs> what's already in the market is is um, you know is the benchmark for us, and then you know the opportunity for us to go higher, you know, to go after Arctic parkas like Canada Goose, um, you know, which was originally developed as like an, you know an Arctic uh, workwear brand for guys working on the pipeline up there. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in, you know, the F, in, like I said, in the FR in the oil and gas space, um, you know, pipe fitters and stuff like that. Women's is a huge market for us as well. Um, you know, 20% of our web traffic comes from women, 10% of our customers are women buying for their significant others or for themselves because they're traditionally used to buying men's workwear. Um, even though it's a smaller segment of our overall target market, women are great consumers, they're less price, um averse, um, you know, they're very loyal so that, you know, we, we feel that there's an opportunity in our stretch fabrics are going to fit women's bodies very well, um, and, you know, we're working with some, you know, women's designers to kind of ideate right now as to what that looks like, um, and, and, yeah, but, I mean, we want to be, you know, large and in charge of the, the you know, the, the technical thought leadership in this workwear category, and there's a lot of space to, to go up. Um, with our product range and, and
0: kind of as we grow up, so. Now, last question before I let you guys go. Why 1620?
1: You know, we're, we're super passionate about our home state. We're both Merrimack Valley guys. We're both born in Massachusetts. We both kind of felt the draw to, like, do some stuff for our community, whether it's our state where we grew up and in our, in our, in our town. And 1620 know, is a play on, you know, when um, – the first settlers came to our country when they left England. And the fact that we're based in Massachusetts and we're making it in America and that we're kind of pioneering it and kind of, you know, bringing stuff back. It's, when we first started this, we would go to like the textile history museum in Lowell, which is now closed. And like, you know, we made clothing for the world here in Massachusetts. We're passionate Bay State guys. Like we love our home state and we and we want to, you know, represent it and rep it to the world. And We wanted a cool looking numerical kind of looking logo and, and we landed on 1620. And, and yeah we love we love it we love what it stands for and you know it, it's surprising that a lot of people don't know the number significance really means up there They're like oh yeah sixteen twenty. I figured I,
0: it but I was like uh, I'll wait till I ask <laughs> you know
1: we're you know we're mass holes but at the same time like this this place has crazy history the building in right now he made shoes like harbor was the shoe town you know and like the world shoes were made here and there's just a lot of heritage here we kind of feel that that kind of pull and you know, it's a mission. It's a a mission to do what we're doing. And we're trying to really, you know, take a stand with both what our expertise are. I mean, Ted could be some manufacturing agent for a massive company right now. I could be doing some marketing for a VF brand. It's like, fuck that. You know, we want to do it for our home state. We want to do it for us. We want to do it for, you know, the people that are making our clothing in our home state. We're really, really proud of that, you know? And like, when you get the customers that that see it and respect that and want to support that, I mean, Means the world to us, you
0: know. Just just a couple millennials out there trying to prove that America can be great again. <laughs> God, I love you walking back in time, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, it is funny though that a lot of these I see young companies or you know, guys will say forty ish and under. Or how old did you say you were? You say I'm forty two. Ten younger. So you guys, are y- you're younger guys, though, and it's these these younger guys, not of like our parents' generation, per se, who want things to be made in America now. They want the manufacturing here. They want the history here. They want all these things to be back here.
1: It's, the world has changed pretty, pretty quickly, pretty quickly since, you know, just since Ted's been back from Asia, you know, it's it's and everything's going to continue to shift. And we don't know what the future holds, you know, but we're going to continue to, to do what we're doing and work super hard and you know I think it, we're we feel super fortunate we have the opportunity to do this and, and, and be American and be here and try to do this you know like it's I don't I think if we were born somewhere else it's not something you can really you know do it's a, it's a great place a ton of opportunity and we're super proud about it And it's not some crazy flag waving deal it's like Making stuff in America is good for all Americans, man. It really is. And I think when people, people can really see that, it's not a political stance at all. It's just like, you know, it's, it's hyper-local, supporting your local economy, supporting your local people that are making stuff. There's, you know, there's, there, there's a, a, a business that just left recently in Massachusetts that left, you know, 500 really competent sewers in the wind. And like, we want to be able to pull from that skill set and we want to
0: make stuff here. You know, that's what we're trying to do. Heck yeah! Don't just make Make America Great Again. Make things in America that are great. Leave it better than you found it. You know we're all building America brick by brick, baby. So where can people find 1620? Where can they follow you on Instagram? Where can they order some sweet pants if they listen to this podcast? They're like, damn, I gotta get some.
1: Google 1620 work where you'll find us. But our 16201620usa.com is our website. Our Instagram handle is at 1620usa. We're going to be in some limited retailers this fall season, but that's going to probably be just brick and mortar, not online. We're probably going to handle the, the controls for online, but you can also just email us at hands on h a hands on h a n d s o n at 1620usa.com or Josh at 1620usa.com, Teddy 1620usa.com. Answer any questions for you. Um, we really love talking to our customers. We spend probably half our day talking to customers, making sure they're getting the right size. You know, we have a 30-day satisfaction guarantee. You can change sizes, do anything you want. We know it's a high price point, so we're not going to just sell you something and leave you in the wind. We're going to make sure you're happy with what you buy, and we back it up with a lifetime guarantee and a lifetime service guarantee. We'll fix it for the lifetime of the garment. You know, we're here to back you up. if You spend the money with us.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is the show. Have a great day.